you, Tiffany. I appreciate that. Uh, Tiffany brings the energy uh, to it. She makes me want to get up and do something. Uh, so uh, I hope that she motivated you as well. So I want to welcome you. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Randy. It's good to have you with us. Uh, if you're online with us, uh, we're glad you're joining us today. And um, it is going to be a little bit different when we get to that moment of service and the sign-ups at the end of the message. Uh, but hang in there with us because uh, our uh, service is not going to be complete. So I tell you that if you're online, be patient with us. If you are uh, here with us, uh, we were going to finish up the service uh, a little bit differently this morning. So we're glad you're here. And uh, I'm excited about the idea of service, service. You know, I believe that one of my gifts is the gift of service, which works out pretty well for being in the ministry, I guess. Uh, but the whole idea of service is, is a hard one for some people, and I understand not everybody has that gift. Let me ask you, how many of you remember the full service gas stations they used to have? This is going to go back a few, eight, few, few years, the full service gas. I mean, that was pretty cool, right? I understand there are some states that will not let you pump your own gas because they don't trust you to do that. Uh, I've been to a couple of them, but that they can't match the service that gas stations used to offer. Uh, back in the day, and I barely remember this, I'll tell you why in a few moments, but back in the day, uh, you would pull into a gas station, you would keep, stay in your car, they would pump your gas, they would check your oil, they would top it off. They, uh, remember the little oil cans, you know, uh, that uh, you punched a top in, a little paper can with metal top and a spout and poured in there, and they kept an open thing to top off your oil back in those days. Uh, they would check the air pressure in your tires, they would wash your windshield, uh, give it a real good clean, clean there, even check your uh, other fluids in your car. And, uh, and all that was done, basically, you felt like for free. It was service that was given to you. And uh, that was normal until the 1970s, and that's why I can remember a little bit of it, till the 70s. Remember that when gas became so expensive and uh, all that service was uh, included in the gas cost, I'm sure, at one point. And stations started offering reduced prices if you would serve yourself. So there was self-service lines. For a while, there might be a full-service a line, but mostly it's self-service today. And that level of service is almost unheard of today in our world. One of the biggest complaints that people make about any business is what? Service is horrible, right? Nobody cares about service anymore. And it seemed like it's gotten worse in the last few uh, months. You know, one day, uh, one afternoon at 4.30, I went into a Walmart super center and the service, customer service counter was closed in the middle of the day. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you not in the middle of the day, provide service. I was pretty frustrated, you might imagine. You know, service seems to be a disappearing thing in our culture. It really does. It just, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, and when you get good service, um, you really want to celebrate that. And I want to shout out a young lady at Steph, named Stephanie, I believe, at the Versailles Brewing, gave us incredible service the other day. So if you go in there, shout out to Stephanie. I don't know her, uh, but she did great, and, uh, and we rewarded her for that, as, as we should. But it's hard to find sometimes. And, and the last year has caused a lot of business, it seems like, to even lower the bar, um, you know, cut back on customer service, uh, and, and that makes it worse. And you know what? In the church, it seems like it oftentimes follows those trends. Volunteers have become more t- difficult to recruit, a lot of long-term people, volunteers who have served have stepped back and not re-upped for one reason for another. And there are serving opportunities that are left empty. And some of those things are covered. Obviously, we do that. But the problem is that it just exists, and it's a nationwide trend. It's not just in our church. And we probably are better than some, but 
it's something we need to talk about. And so I want to do that because servanthood is a huge part of the Christian life. It is such a big part that we oftentimes underestimate the power and the influence of servanthood. Jesus said this, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. If I were to ask you to describe yourself in one word, one word, what would it be? You know, maybe it would be your work. I might say, well, I'm a pastor, or you might say I'm a homemaker or an engineer or a nurse or whatever it may be. Or maybe you think about it in the context of family. You might say, well, I'm a parent, you know, or I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a, a child, whatever. Nationality, American, ethnic background, African-American, Irish. Uh, maybe you might describe yourself in your gender. I'm a man. You might say you're a woman. But the way you answer that question oftentimes is significant because it reveals what personal attributes are central to your identity, who you are. Now, I think that's interesting because um, when the authors of the New Testament introduced themselves, they all use the same term, and you probably know what it is, right? You're running ahead. But they all use the same adjective to identify themselves. They don't say, Paul, a Christian, even though he was a Christian, obviously all the writers were Christians. Um, they don't say, Paul, the disciple, Paul, the teacher, but he says the servant, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, when he introduces himself in the gospel. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Christ Jesus Christ. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? In the books they wrote, they identify themselves up front as being servants of Christ. And this tells us that they all consider their status as servants to be the most significant aspect of their identity as followers of Christ. I never really thought about that before, but it's pretty amazing that they all collectively, I'm sure, and on their own as they wrote, they all identify themselves as a servant. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It means being a servant. It means being a servant of God. That's how we identify ourselves and think of ourselves. It means being a servant of Jesus Christ. It means being a servant of the gospel and a servant of the church of other believers and of other non-believers. As we broaden the scope of servanthood, it's not just serving God, it's not just serving the church, it's serving the least of these. Isn't that what Jesus said? Those are the important ones that we ought to reach out to. So in Jesus' day, he came to be a servant, which is really interesting because in that day, servanthood was not popular. To say you were a servant was, was humiliating. It was not something you would brag about or even mention about yourself. And unfortunately, we seem to be reverting back to that today. It's hard to find good service, right, in any place. So let me ask you, how does it make you feel to think of yourself as a servant? Do you have a hard time picturing that label in your life? You are serving people. Maybe it's not the most motivating title in the world, you don't get up in the morning and go, I'm going to serve somebody today. You know, that's not what gets you out of bed, probably. You know, uh, maybe it's a little bit uh, humbling for you. The idea of a servant can maybe make you think that you're less than another person. Maybe that's the problem with servanthood today is you feel like if you're serving someone that you're less than they. And maybe the reason is that people might make you feel like that. They treat you that, that you're less because you're serving them. Or maybe people might look down on you because you serve. 
And that may be human nature in some ways. We don't want to be the ones who, who serve. We all want to be served, right? We may have to start out at the bottom at our job or, or wherever we may be, but at some point we want to work. We want to do our job until our goal is to be at the top and people serve us. But you know, that's, Jesus kind of turns all that upside down. That's an incorrect view of service as Jesus shows us. Because although Jesus was a leader, he was a servant as well. Several years ago, there was a, a writer named Robert Greenleaf, and he coined a term for the way that Jesus lived his life. It's not really anything new, but he put two words together that describe what Jesus' life was all about, and that was a servant leader. Jesus was a servant leader. There was never any doubt that Jesus was a leader. He called his disciples, he gathered them in, he literally led them uh, and, and discipled them, and he led by giving his life for us, he poured out his life for us, but he led also by serving. And in fact, that's what Paul taps, taps in on Philippians chapter two, where he tells us to have the same mindset as that of Jesus Christ, who being in nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." So Paul not only says that he is a servant, but he emphasized what Jesus had said many times before, that Jesus was a servant. And even though he was equal to God, had the right to demand God's, you know, or people's respect and, and their service, he came not to be served, but to serve other people. He didn't use his high position to demand other people to serve him all the time or exempt himself from serving. Instead, he lowered himself to the lowest position, the lowest servant to take on the sins of the world and to die for them. And in the process, he modeled servanthood and commanded us to have the same mindset to serve other people. So Jesus truly is that term that was given to him, a servant leader. And, and that there's nowhere else in the Bible that this is seen more clearly than in a passage of scripture that we're gonna kind of focus on a few moments here in John chapter 13. And it says, it says, it was just before the Passover festival that Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured some water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not know, realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered him, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is, is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. 
You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I mean, what an amazing passage of Scripture And this was, of course, at the Last Supper when Jesus brought his disciples together for the last time. But he humbled himself and he serves them in such an amazing way. And there's a couple things that jump out at me in in this scripture that I wanted to share with you. One of them was the reason Jesus served them. Jesus' motivation was love for his followers. You know, someone said that you can serve without loving, but you can't love without serving. I mean, think about that. People can be forced to serve other people in slavery, or you can pay people, or you can manipulate them to serve you. And there's not necessarily any love in that. You can do something for another person if you're forced to or paid to, but it may not be because you love them. But you know, if you love someone, you're going to serve them. It just naturally flows out of you. You know, I think about parents. I've seen parents um, who have just been so sacrificial for their children, have done things, work multiple jobs to provide for them, to, you know, for their living or put them through school or whatever it may be. Incredible sacrifices because they love them. I've seen men and women care for their spouse so faithfully through sickness or just loving them well through life, just serving them all the time, always looking for ways to make their life easier. We see people out of love do incredible things. Every now and then we hear about someone who might donate a kidney to a person that they don't know, but they do it out of love for that person and the need. I mean, what an extreme gift to give to someone, an incredible expression of love. In verse one here, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. What an amazing act of love that Jesus did with his disciples at a critical time when he himself was under stress because he knew what was coming. You know, sometimes when we're dealing with stress or our own issues, we're not willing to serve other people, but Jesus gave this incredible act of service. And even though washing their feet was a small thing compared to later on what he would do would die for them and for us, it was still a huge act at the time. Now, why did Jesus do that? Well, it was obviously a need in that day. It was an act of hospitality uh, that was pretty normal in that culture. They walked on dusty roads for miles, uh, so their feet would probably be dirty or muddy, depending on the the climate there. And and also when they ate, they didn't eat like we do. You know, you might get away with dirty feet if you're sitting in a chair, but when you're laying down, they actually reclined when they were eating at kind of an angle to the table. So And when you were eating, your feet were pretty close to somebody else, you know? And so it was an act of hospitality that was normally done by the lowliest of servants. But as they came together, Jesus noticed that nobody else got up and moved to do it. Sure, he waited a few minutes to see if any of them would would do so. But at that point, remember, they struggled a lot with a lot of pride and, you know, trying to be number one. So nobody was going to do that. So Jesus himself took a towel and a basin, knelt down and began to wash their feet And I'm sure they were all humiliated themselves at that point. But it was love that drove them to do it. Without, with, uh, we'll do things for love that we would never do for money. The second thing I noted is that Jesus was fully aware of his position as leader. Even though he was acting as a lowliest servant, they knew his role. 
They never thought about Jesus truly being the servant or the least of them. He was the greatest of them. And in fact, in his um, comments to them, he reminds them that he is their leader and their teacher. He was their rabbi. He was their disciple maker. And as such, he would never be seen as below or less than them. He had called them, he was leading them, he had taught them, and now he was modeling to them how a leader in God's kingdom was to act. The next thing I noticed is that Jesus' love and sacrifice was not conditional on their behavior, not conditional on their behavior. We think, well, if you do as I want, then I'll be kind to you and I'll respond to you well, but that's not what was going on. Jesus knew, in fact, it even says Jesus was aware that Judas was going to betray him. That it was already in the works. A deal had already been struck, you know, and, and you know, it, it was going to happen that evening. Not only did he know that Judas was going to betray him, he knew also that Peter was going to deny him three times in that night. He had already predicted that to Peter. And yet Jesus washed their feet as well. He did not discriminate, didn't leave them for last, or didn't hesitate when he came to them. He's lovingly goes to each one of these two men as well as the other 10. So you see, serving is not prompted, uh, is prompted by love, not by whether people deserve it or not. Not by whether we're going to get paid back, whether somebody's going to do something for us. It's done because we love people. And what Jesus was doing was ultimately being done for his father. And so obeying the father and being loving to them was his motivation. You know, I've found that serving is oftentimes hard it is demanding, it's frustrating, and it's lonely sometimes. Because of the very nature of service, not everybody is doing it. In this room of 13 people at least, there was only one who was motivated to do it, and that was Jesus. And I've also found that many times in the church that people get wary of serving, people get resentful of serving, because people don't always respond and always join in. And I always try to remind people that the reason we serve is not for the people we're doing it for, that we're doing it for God. We're doing it for God. And just because everybody doesn't jump in and join us doesn't lessen the importance of that. In fact, it might even emphasize the importance of that. We have to remember who we do it for. Now, Jesus was doing it for his father, but also for them, for he loved them. But he didn't do it for their, their recognition. And he didn't do it for, any, for them to return the favor. We're not told if anybody ever turned around and washed Jesus' feet or not. Isn't that interesting? We're not, we don't read about that. Maybe they didn't even have the courage to do that. But he was willing to do whatever was needed at the moment. And that's the heart of the servant. He didn't just do it to prove a point. He did it because it was needed. And when we think about it and see the needs in our world, we need to step up to the plate and do it. And then the other thing I noticed is that Jesus did this as an example for his followers to learn for themselves. He didn't just do it because it needed to be done. He set them an example. And in fact, he makes that real clear in verses 14 and following. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Yes, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do that. Now, in our world today, obviously, washing feet is not the most pressing need that people have. I'm sure that most of us took a shower this morning or a bath or something last night or whatever it is. So I'm sure that's not the real need. 
And that's not to say that washing each other's feet isn't a good idea. You know, it's an act of humility. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it just isn't the most pressing thing at the moment. But it is an example of what we're called to do, and that's just to fill a need. Not just a need that's felt and desperate, but a, a need of respect and a need of response that would in turn show people Jesus. And there are needs all around us every day that are being unmet. Needs that maybe we don't even know about. Sometimes maybe that's the issue. We all get in our world and we get on our road and you know, we, everything is good and all of our needs are met. We assume everybody else's needs are met. But there are a lot of needs that are unmet. And once we are aware of them, we need to try to meet those needs. That's one thing I really admire about what Missy and Tiffany are, are trying to do. They're, they've gone to a lot of our ministry partners and asked them, what are some of the needs that you guys are finding? What are some of the things that we can help you out? And, and in so doing, it allows us to kind of, our world opens up a little bit as we understand, wow, there, there are people out there who aren't comfortable or there are people who don't have all their needs met. And so in a few moments, we're gonna challenge you to get up. I know it's uncomfortable, but it's a way of responding to get up and go to one of the tables that are around the room. There's eight of them. And you'll, you'll see as you go, I, I know maybe you're serving already and you've done it a long time and you maybe can't add any more to your plate. But, but I want you to go and just hear about and, and talk to some people about some of the needs that are out there. Because it's easy for us to assume that everything is covered, everything is taken care of. In reality, there are some real needs. And so we've got people who are gonna be at each of the tables. They're gonna kind of explain what we do as a church. It's gonna be a little chaotic. That's all right, because uh, it's our response, right? And we need to be responsive sometime. So we're gonna ask everybody to jump up and we're gonna take about five or 10 minutes to do that. And we're gonna come back, resume our service. And we're gonna share in communion, which uh, is a beautiful picture of service as well. And we got a lot of opportunities to serve within the church, with, without the church. Let me just say that COVID has really crippled volunteerism in the world overall. I know that it has, not just in churches, but everywhere. And uh, so a lot of people have kind of pulled back and we understand that you may be reluctant to be in direct contact sometime with people that, especially that you don't know. So we'll be very sensitive to that. But understand that there are ways to volunteer even that may not be face-to-face, -face, all right? And, uh, and while every church is feeling this crunch, uh, and, and we have a lot of positions that are covered, and you guys are really good at that. We can do more, and that's what we're kind of calling you to do. Let me, before we do that, let me challenge you to step up to serve with two things. Number one, Christ-like service is always inconvenient. It is always inconvenient. If you're waiting for the moment to serve when, when the timing is perfect for you, you'll, it'll never happen. There'll never be a good time to serve or start serving. But if you commit then you will find time. What do we know? We know that anything that's important to us, we find time to do, every one of us. So when it becomes an important thing, we will find time to do it. The second thing is that Christ-like service is done willingly and joyfully. We don't wanna drag anybody kicking and screaming into service, all right? It needs to come from your heart, motivated by love. So we're not gonna force you to do anything, but it all comes down to your attitude of the heart and an understanding that when Jesus set the example, we wanna be like him. For Jesus, it wasn't easy, it wasn't convenient, but he did it for us. He did it for us. And so I guess that's what we're asking you to do is kind of make you a little bit uncomfortable here uh, to get up and kind of walk around and you can visit with people and, and definitely visit with the people who are at the tables. Um, but it's important to understand how this is a part 
not only of a command by our Lord, but also a part of the value that we have at our church. One of our values is connection, connecting with people. Our values are connect, grow, and share. And this is a, a part of the connect value uh, because when you connect, not only will you be helping people in need, but you'll be serving with others that you'll get some great relationships with, all right? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a word of prayer and then I'm gonna ask everybody, if you would, to stand up, go to a table. We'll have a few moments and then we'll come back and worship and celebrate together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you that we, first of all, are blessed to the point that we are able to be out, that we have life, that we have health, that, God, we have abilities uh, that you and gifts and talents that you've given us, Lord. And, Father, un- help us to understand that those gifts and talents are not just for our own benefit. It's, they're not just to benefit ourselves or the, the people in our family. But, God, they are given so that we can help other people as well. So, Father, as we come together, as we share, as we discover and learn, uh, Father, help us to see your beautiful kingdom, your beautiful world, the needs exist, and how you prepared us for those needs, Lord. And we pray that in all of this, you would be glorified, that we would be satisfied, and the world would know Jesus. I pray all these things in his name. Amen. So, if you would, church. Stand, feel free to go and look around and see needs that maybe you might be able to help meet.